0: Now, if you can just rest in the simple fact that God loves you and he delights in you and will never forsake you or leave you, and you start standing on God's promises, suddenly you'll start to be strengthened, encouraged, and confident, and you'll start to hear his voice. God, more often than not, actually is speaking, but we're the ones that struggle to actually listen. More often than not, in our prayer time, we're doing more talking than we are listening. And so I really encourage you, if you feel like you're not hearing God's voice— To take the time to dig into his word and sit at his feet and ask him to speak to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring the scriptures alive to you. You see, this Bible is a mirror. God's word is a mirror. James says anybody that hears the word and doesn't do it is likened unto a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. A natural man who looks into the mirror and when he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. So the scripture is literally reflecting myself. It's reflecting Jesus, but Jesus is in me. So as I get to know the word, I get to know who I am. All right? And so only 17% of Christians statistically read their Bible. So I want to encourage you guys as much as we want a word from the Lord, God has given you many, many, many words about your situation and how to overcome it. Take the time to dive in, get discipled, get some Bible studies, and at the same time, we've got to start to learn for ourselves instead of riding on everybody else's coattail. I'm not against podcasts and YouTube videos and all the great latest, greatest speakers. I'm not against uh, buying other people's books but some of us vicariously live through other people's books and podcasts and messages, and we get good things out of them, but God has something specific for you. And that's why it says, is anybody enduring affliction? Which all of us will face hardship and trials, won't we? Yeah. At one time. Some are really going through Some of you are going through it really bad right now. So what he says is, and I taught this two weeks ago, He says, if you're going through it, learn how to commune and worship the Lord and come into agreement with what he's saying now, even before it comes. And when it comes, get noisy. Because to sing psalms literally means to to strike a chord or strike something for a vibration, make a sound. And every one of us have vocal cords. So if you missed that, that was two weeks ago. I would encourage you to go listen to it because I'm going to build upon that today. Today I'm going to talk about overcoming sickness and adversity in the sense of mental illness, addiction, and physical sickness. And it's going to continue on to verse 14. It's James chapter 5, verse 14. And it starts off with this question. Is anybody sick among us? I have been battling asthma since I was nine years old. I talked to my blood father about probably, oh, four or five years ago. I hadn't talked to him in over 10 years. I'm, I met him for the first time when I was 28. He's not actively involved in my life. And I called him, we talked, and we were getting, you know, talking some more to get to know him, each other, and for me to get to know him. And I was telling him about the asthma sort of thing. He goes, Well, that's one good thing I gave you. That's what he said. And so the thing is, is that. I've been wrestling with this asthma for a really long time, but I know what the Word says. This scripture says that by your stripes you were, which is past tense. So I stand on God's Word that I was healed by what Jesus did on the cross. So I'm standing on God's Word regardless of what my natural circumstances says. I have to take medication and inhalers, and I've battled it for quite a long time. You'll hear me get congested and I'll hack sometimes while I'm preaching and lately my sinuses have been real stuffy but I also know that the scripture says that though my outward man is perishing which includes age it includes the sag of gravity it includes getting old it includes uh, struggling in your body physically my inward man is renewed how often day by day let's everybody say day by day So every day I renew my inner man despite what my outer man says, despite what my circumstance says. But I also know that God never called us to go it alone. That's why I often say, if you're not a part of a local church body, you're out of the will of God. Now, a lot of people don't like that. They don't like it because they feel like that could be controlling or that I'm trying to get you to join a church club. I'm not. The church is the body of Christ, but God has local communities positioned and placed for a reason. There's 350 churches just in Corpus Christi alone, with over 800 in the Coastal Bend region. Each pastor is unique, but we all have the same word. But God gives us unique communities and understanding and doctrinal teachings that are unique to specific people. It shouldn't be divisive. Doctrinally, we should all line up, but we don't. But the bigger point that I'm trying to make to you is God calls you to a family and a tribe, and you got to be spirit-led wherever you go. That's why some people will leave here and go to other churches in town and they felt like the Holy Spirit called them to go there. Some of you were a part of another church and you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to call here, to come here. What I want you to do is go where the Holy Spirit calls you to go and stay and get planted and become part of the tribe and part of the family because we were never called to go it alone. If I cut my hand off or I cut my foot off, would it do me any good? If my foot was laying on the table, would it do me any good? That's the point of being disconnected from the body of Christ. Now, I realize the Western Americanized church in many ways is pretty jacked up. I really believe man-made religion is a killer, and I have a disdain for it as well. And the issues that most people have with organized religion, I have them too. So the only thing I know to do is to, to transform culture by doing it right. And I didn't start this church because I thought every other church was broken, I started it because I knew God had already built a family with 250 people that I'd been with for six and a half years. The door shut. Amber and I knew we couldn't separate from these people that we had done life with for so long, and we also knew that God had a call on our life. We could make a lot more money just opening up coffee. If I had 10 more coffee shops, I'd probably make six, seven $700,000 a year up and down the East Coast and the Gulf Coast. I could see coffee waves everywhere, can't you? Yeah, heck Yeah. But the, and I could minister in the marketplace full time. But God has called each of us to train and equip other people with the way that he's trained and equipped you. Discipleship has to be an important part of our lives. We have to give away what God has given to you. And the truth is, we would have been miserable had we not answered the call that God had for us. Now, God has a call for each one of you. You just have to find it and go hard after it. And we'll help you discover that. But when it comes to sickness, the Bible says that we are to lean on each other and in particular we're to lean on the elders. Let's pull that scripture up, James 5.14. I want you to notice this says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going to unpack this just a little bit. All right. So first of all, It's up close and personal. It's not just a prayer request online. It's not just filling out the card. The scripture says if you're sick, get an elder to lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. All right? Now, the word elder in the Greek is the word presbyter, where we get the word presbytery. The mindset is it's a person who leads with authority. They're older. They're wise. I call them spiritual senators. These are people that have been around for a long time and have a burning passion to shepherd God's people and to set an example. Now, it doesn't give us an age, but what I want you to know is the elder is a nature more than it is a title. You got to get past titles. People ask me, well, where's the fivefold ministry at Rock? Where's the pastors and the teachers and the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists? And you know what I say? They're everywhere. I want a hundred prophets, a hundred apostles. In fact, I want y'all to be apostolic and prophetic in your natures, all right? No matter what your primary, like my probably number one strong bent is evangelism. I love to minister the gospel and preach the gospel. I told you about my mailman last a couple weeks ago. He showed up again the other day. I love it when he's... Well, maybe I don't love it when he has Amazon boxes, but it forces him to get out of his truck and walk up to my door, right? And I'm like, another box, and I'm looking at my wife like, really? (laughs) We have a love-hate relationship with Amazon. And so he has to get out of his truck. And I told you guys, you need to be praying for my mailman because he's going to get born again. So he walks up. I said, how's it going? He goes, my back's hurting. I said, all right. I said, well... Come on, let's pray for your back. he's like, all right, let's do it. So I put my hand on his back, and I pray for him. And then when he's done, I start to affirm him. I start to speak life to him. I start to prophesy over him. He doesn't know quite what to do with that, and he smiles really big. He goes, all right, man, have an awesome day. But God's already spoken to me about him. Now, he's going to have to make the choice, but I'm going to make sure that I'm in position of doing what I'm supposed to be doing with my mailman, right? And so... I'm not sure how I got off on that tangent. <laughs> evangelism, thank you. My wife has got me, gonna keep me on track. But the fivefold ministry are natures inside of all of us because we have the nature of Jesus. We don't have to have the house prophet, the house evangelism, the house apostle. We should all have the nature and characteristic of who Christ is in all areas of the gifts to train and equip people in their purpose and their calling, right? Okay. And so, if anybody's sick among you, Let him come to the people that have the nature of the elders. Now, we have a lot of people in this church that have natures of an elder. Remember, they're older, seasoned, wise ones who shepherd the flock. They set examples. They're spiritual senators. They have a burning passion for God's people. For me, it's kind of hard to see an elder, you know, at 21 years old. I mean, honestly, I probably wouldn't put a 21. I don't know that I'd put a 30-year-old in a position of an elder. But the Bible doesn't give us an exact Age, right? So there are a lot of people that I watch and see with their passion, their heart. I'd probably say that, a, that an elder, maybe at 40 and over, 45, 50, probably as we get more up into that range, these are people that have walked with the Lord for a long time. They know doctrine, they can correct. Think, I think of elders like braces at the Orthodontist. And el- a uh, strong elder community in the church are like braces. They cause the teeth to grow straight. So that we grow, you know, teeth in the Bible represents wisdom. Did you know that? If you dream about teeth, it often re- represents wisdom. If, how many of you had dreams of your teeth falling out? Look around, It's going to be almost all of us of teeth falling out. Oftentimes that means that God's removing the old so he can put in the new. You're like, oh, I freaked out. My teeth are falling out. Yeah, you thought you were wise in your own eyes, and now Jesus is coming to invade your space. Hey. Right? And so, so elders, what they do is they cause us to grow straight and not go crooked. And if somebody gets crooked, an elder can come in, they can identify doctrinally and hopefully cause the teeth, and sometimes that requires those braces to be tighten down, and that can be uncomfortable, right? But don't leave the church because of it. Instead, understand that we're trying to build a family of healthy overseers that have a burning passion to set good examples. So the function of an elder is a bishop. The word bishop means an overseer. And in the Bible, bishops and elders are interchangeably used. All right? Now, some of you are like, why am I talking about this? Because the scripture says if you're sick, come to the elders, right? And because there's a lot of things that an elder can do to your life when they pray for you. An elder is somebody that stands confident in the wisdom and the spirit of the Lord. And in this church, we have, we don't have near enough elders in position, but we have a lot of people with elders by nature. What I need you to do is get healthy, get connected, Get involved, serve, love, and naturally do what you are so that I can identify you and put you into the position of an elder or a bishop to help us oversee this church. And you got to understand that God designed there to be overseers. If I didn't have people in my life like Prophet Kevin Leal, Brad McClendon, David Chisholm, and others that can help me to stay straight, I could get crooked at times. Had it not been for some of them in my life when we started this church, this church would have looked a lot different than what it looks right now, right? And so we all need people in our life that can speak to us, direct us, guide us, and have confidence that can bring healing into our lives. Because I'm going to show you here in a minute, it says that if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. And I'm going to teach you something profound about forgiveness and healing in the context of having people pray for you, all right? So, is anyone sick among you, let him call for. So do me a favor. If you get sick and you go in the hospital, please let us know. I've had people that have gotten sick and gone into the hospital. You know, we have some top leaders at Driscoll here. You, you don't know fully who they are, but we have some, some nurses and we have le- strong leaders at Driscoll Children's Hospital. And at any given time, I can make a phone call and have somebody in your room that has authority to pray for you. We have a first responder team that can make it to the hospitals to pray for you, but you got to let us know. I've had people leave this church because they went into the hospital, their children got sick, or something happened, and nobody showed up from the church, and they posted it on Facebook. But I should have known, I guess, on Facebook because I spend a whole three minutes a day these days on it because I'm building chicken coops and feeding kitties right now. I'm ministering to kittens. It's a cat ministry. <laughs> well, I know. Listen, I get it. We're going to kill some snakes and rats. i got to raise them up. There's a lesson in it somewhere, I can assure you. <clears throat> oh, gosh, I could say something so funny, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah. <clears throat> So I'm making this point. I'm driving it home a little bit more at this service because what I want you to understand is God has a local body of leaders and elders for a purpose. What we should do is not be controlling nor make assumptions of why you're sick because there's no formula for any one person. And that's where so much inner healing ministry has gone astray. But you also don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So bring up verse 14 again. Now, we have a lot of people here that are elders by nature, but not with the title. Get on the prayer partner team. You got to get on the prayer partner team. Okay, if you've are if you been a Christian for an extended period of time and a part of this church and you're older and have experienced a lot, raised children, have grandchildren, walk with the Lord for a consistent time, and have a burning passion for God's people, it's important that you get on the prayer partner team. But before that, we're going to inspect your life because biblically in Titus and in Timothy, we get some very clear guidelines of what's expected of an elder. All right? But we want to develop you because this church over time, really in the next three years, I'm going to need about 20 elders or more, 20 or 30 elders because this church is going to blow up. And so what we've got to do is we've got to get healthy structures that can h- handle doctrinal differences, people that get sideways or cancerous or somebody gets hurt or whatever the situation is. It's important that we have a strong governmental structure there. But what I love about this is the elders have an anointing on, your, on their life and confident faith to pray for you when you're sick. So instead of just waiting for me to come to you or hiding out, what often happens when we're sick and I'm not just talking about physical sickness. It can be mental anxiety, mental health, addiction, is that we fall into shame, we isolate ourselves and we don't want anybody to know our business because of fear. Maybe you've been hurt because of last pastors, maybe you're sick because of a bad choice you made. You know, if somebody does a lot of drugs and drinks a lot, sickness, smoke, uh, you know, smokers, there's things we do to our body that can make us sick. And so we get sick and then we're like, well, I've done this to myself. I don't really want anybody to pray for me. That's a deceptive lie. That's why I encourage you all to read Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is like, I bombed it. The Lord rescued me. Everything was awesome. I bombed it. I cried out, the Lord rescued me, everything was awesome, and I ran back to my sin. The Lord, I bombed it, he rescued me. Know your Bible. I'm just telling you guys, like I bombed it a thousand times, but I've learned when I bomb it to not run from him. You think I got it all together when I come in here? Do we have struggles and challenges and stresses and pressures and all kinds of things? In this world, you'll have trouble. But I come in here because I'm desperate. I love my quiet secret place time with Jesus. It's awesome. But let me tell you, I get something here together with you that I don't get when I'm in private. And when I pull my ear monitor out and I hear you all sing and you all worship, it really moves my heart. And I feel connected with you in the spirit. And I never will get that when I'm by myself. And there's something powerful because there's a whole doctrine of laying on of hands, which I'll teach it to you at some point. But there's something powerful when I say... Jeremy, man, Jeremy, Lord, I need you to lay hands on me and pray for me right now. So is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now you should always believe for yourself But how many of you would agree that many times when you're sick and feeling miserable or going through a hard situation, it's hard to have faith for yourself? And biblically, God says that there are times where you will struggle with having faith for yourself, so get somebody else in your life that has confident faith. I'm going to show you that with the paralytic here in just a moment. It's up close and personal. God says, call for the elders. Now, there are other ways that you can call for people to pray. It's not just like, hey, I just need the elders every time. We have altar ministry here at this service every Sunday, and then Wednesday nights we have a lot of altar ministry and an opportunity for you to receive prayer. Here's some of the other ways that you can have people pray for you. You can have those that you're in relationship with, your friends, your family, and your intimate community. You can submit prayer requests online on our website anytime. The prayer requests come to us, and then they go to all the elders and the intercessors. We have a whole prayer partner team of over 40 people. They get the prayer request. All the leaders get it, and we pray for you. You get about 40 people overnight praying for you. Many times um, people are like, man, I'm sick, Pastor. I need you. I'm like, did you submit a prayer request online? No. Or they comment, like, look, I'm I'm." I know I've got some faith, but get 39 more people, 40 more people praying for you. I need you to submit the prayer requests online. There's prayer request cards in the seat pocket in front of you. The altar ministry. There's something powerful when you answer that altar call and say, listen, I need healing for this. And you let somebody stand with you in prayer. And then my heart, as this church grows, is to have healing rooms. I want to have every week. Uh, at least one day a week, if not more, a room that is open where people can sign up in advance and get scheduled and come in, and there's an intercessory prayer partner team there waiting for you to pray for you when you're sick. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? Yeah! Hey! And so it's, it's something that is going to take a little bit of time and space But it's something that's very important. I've started a healing room before at my church in Tulsa, and it was incredible. We had healing rooms, prophecy rooms, dream interpretation rooms. Wouldn't it be awesome if on Wednesday nights uh, we had worship and prayer going on or all day Wednesday, and then you can come here and have somebody pray for you or interpret a dream or prophesy into your life? I think that would be pretty incredible. And then the other thing is, if you're a part of this church, I can't have everybody in the city calling us to schedule a prayer time. But if you're a part of this church and you get sick and you really need somebody to pray for you, call the office and hopefully we can schedule a time for you either during intercessory prayer time or have some elders come up and meet you, depending on what your situation is. Or we'll say, hey, come this Wednesday night and we'll meet you here at the front in the altar ministry. All right? But the point that I'm really trying to make is that Rock City should have a strong culture of elders, a culture of prayer, and a culture of healing. Healing that brings uh, comfort and strength to your hearts and to your physical body. They go hand in hand. Now, oil, I think this is pretty awesome. Let's go back to verse 14. Let the elders anoint them with oil. Let's talk about that. Now, oil, some people get a little wild with oil. And you need to understand that that oil represents the Holy Spirit. And it under, it represents this mindset. It could represent a few things. I'm going to tell you what I, the primary thing I think it is. But if you do all the research on, uh, you know, the background of this scripture and what it the, doctrinally could mean, it could have actually been medicinal oil. Like back in the day, they had the balm of Gilead. And what it could have meant was that the elders would have, you know, some sort of medicinal oil that could bring healing to your life. Now, the, the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, when the guy got injured on the side of the road, the Good Samaritan helped him. What did he do? He bandaged up his wounds, and then he poured oil and wine on him. Did you know that? That's the Good Samaritan. Now, it might be kind of a little bit crazy if I had a few bottles of wine and I had like a whole doTERRA section up here, some of you would really love diffusers all over the church. Oh, Young Living, so no, I don't want anybody to get upset. And I'm not anti-oils, and some of you are like, yeah, let's get some diffusers up in this house, hey! <laughs> I know you're sick, let me anoint you with some oil. You know, my, actually, I have an oil that's my favorite oil. It's not snake oil, by the way, it's not snake oil. <laughs> We've, I think, you know, and every Greek, which I'm Greek, has something. You know, my mom always had a tube of some cream. I don't even know what the cream was. But it didn't matter what, if I got cut, if I got a bug bite, she had a cream. And by the way, the Windex in the Big Fat Greek Wedding is not a true thing. Windex, but Greeks do have something for everything. My go-to is tea tree oil. I, I think tea tree oil is like the wonder oil. I mean, you put that on anything... And it dries up little, you know, tabs on your body, scu- you know, cuts, scrapes, whatever it is. We have tea tree cream, tea tree. Now, that stuff stinks. It is smells. Could you imagine if I had about five or six bottles of tea tree oil? And y'all, come on, guys, and, a slot, you know, tea tree oil all over you. I am actually making a point because here's the point. The point is, is that anointing with oil, because here in a moment it says, the prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. Verse 15. So really what oil, and even the balm of Gilead, if you research the balm of Gilead, what it really actually represented, because the balm of Gilead was not only a healing ointment, but it was a perfume. And what what it represented was life and beauty and transformation from the Lord coming into your life. So it was medicinal, but it also was more spiritual. And so in the scripture, anointing with oil isn't necessarily that I always have to have a bottle of oil. Now, sometimes I will anoint you with oil. Scripture says to do it. But what it really understands is it's a point of faith and contact for your life through the laying on of hands and the sweet fragrance and aroma of the oil, whatever oil it is, coming onto your life. And it's indicative of the Holy Spirit coming onto your life. So the mindset is, is that if you get close to me, when I'm praying for you, the oil and the power of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit, my life can bring healing to your life. That's what it really means. So I'm not like crazy about the oil, like I got to have the oil all the time. There's times I don't have oil with me and there's times that I don't have to have oil. I like to anoint people with oil because I, for me, that's very prophetic and spiritual. And I love the smell of cedars of Lebanon. I got a whole bottle of it up. On the stage. I grew up with that fragrance and that aroma of praying for people spiritually, and I love that. But what it really represents is that when I get close to Renee and I lay hands on her, that the life and the oil of the Holy Spirit inside of my life can bring healing and comfort and strength like the balm of Gilead brings to people's lives. Are you following? I'm unpacking a scripture. You probably, I'd have never really heard anybody actually teach on this, okay? So When you come up for prayer and you receive prayer, you see and understand that the anointing oil of the Lord and the Holy Spirit comes on your life. All right? Here's a point I want to make in this. We do not exclude medicine and physicians. Prayers prayers should always be offered regardless of how a person is healed whether through miraculous means or through medicine and physicians. Do you understand? Let me give you an example of both. Jeremiah 8.22. Israel is sick. The nation is sick. And Jeremiah says, is there no balm of Gilead? Is there not a physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter? Because the point is, is God uses, do- in fact, The entire book of Luke and Acts was written by a doctor. His name was Luke, was a physician, right? And so God uses medicine and God can use doctors. But at the same time, you never come to a place where you don't seek the Lord. And you should always be asking for prayer and believing and walking by faith and having people pray for you, always. King Asa is a classic example. Now, you can go study out King Asa. King Asa was like the fifth king or the third king of Judah, the fifth king in the, in the lineage of uh, the throne of David. And King Asa did these incredible reforms. He was awesome. God was with him in a mighty way. And he, got the, he, he became king at like 18 or 19 years old, about 800 to 900 years before Jesus came onto the scene. The stuff King Asa did was supernaturally awesome. But later in his reign, he reigned for 41 years. Somewhere around the 38th and 39th year, he got sideways. And he decided to make a treaty with with Israel's enemy, Syria. Not only did he make a treaty, he took the gold and the silver from the temple and he gave it to the Syrians. And it was a bad situation. The seers and the prophets come to correct him. He gets angry, he imprisons them, and then what happens in the last few years of his reign? He gets incredibly sick. You get this thing in Second Chronicles 16.9, where it's where the prophet says to Asa, don't you know the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth? Who God is looking to show himself in power to, whose hearts are perfect towards him, but your heart hasn't been perfect? Hasn't God always been there for you? And so look at this last thing that happened later in life at the end of his life. Second Chronicles chapter... 16, verse 12. And in the 39th year of Asa's reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, what happened? Bad situation. Bad situation, right? Now, some of you are like, I never take a Tylenol. I never take an Advil. Personally, I thank God for Advil. That's my personal thing. I'm telling you right now, there's times where I'm like, give me a couple Advil. But I'm also saying to you that I'm not, I'm not saying, well, God can't heal, and I don't pray. I pray, and there's times that God touches me, and I don't need any medicine, and I feel good and strong. But at the same time, I realize that I could need medicine and doctors, and so what I do is I use them both. And I don't get discouraged when the one doesn't happen. Say, so, well, God, you've been battling asthma since you were nine. Okay. The Bible says that by his stripes I was healed. So I could have a couple choices. I could give in to the sickness and be angry and frustrated and doubt God. Or I can stand on his word and say I know what God says. And even if I don't see the manifestation in my body, I have full faith to believe and confidence that he already healed me on the cross. Because the Bible says by his stripes I'm going to be. I might be. Maybe. No, it says I was. So I stand on God's scripture. You guys can just watch my story because I'm believing for you and for me for that supernatural manifestation of the healing that already occurred on the cross thousands of years ago. Do you understand? You got to stand on God's word no matter what you're facing. And so Asa, he got far. It was a heart condition. And the mindset was, well, God's not going to do it. And you know when you've been battling a sickness, something for a real long time, diabetes, back pain, I don't know what it is, digestive issues, stomach issues. If you've been battling something for a really, really, really long time, it can get very discouraging, and sometimes you just feel like God's not going to heal you. And your faith can get small, right? Well, that's why you get around people like me, and you get around people in this church that have confident faith, because what you don't want is somebody that's doubting. In James 1, it says... It says that if you're going to pray, have full confidence and assurance and faith that God will do it, and don't doubt in your heart, and let not th- that man receive, he's going to think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. So could you imagine if she's sick, and I'm like, Lord, I just really hope that you'll heal her, and I know you haven't done it, and you may not, but Lord, I just, maybe, would you, Lord, Please, God, I'm not really sure that you will because you haven't. But still, Lord, I'm praying that you do. I mean, that's silly, right? I mean, think about it. And that's going to lead me to the next part of the scripture. It says the prayer of the what? The prayer of the faith will save the sick. It's a powerful scripture. Verse 15. The prayer of the what? The faith. You want people praying for you who have confidence in God's healing power without doubt or uncertainty. Having faith personally sets you up for supernatural activity in your own life. However, sometimes when you're battling sickness, having faith for your own self can be difficult, right? So notice it says the prayer of the faith. This is why we need each other because there's times that we need the help and the faith of another to pray and believe with and for us. Hence, the prayer of the faith will save the sick. So I'm going to break this down. The word save, the sick, the word save is the word sozo in the Greek. Here's what it means. To be saved means that God rescued you, he delivered you, he redeemed you, he protects you, and he makes you into something that you're called to be. He makes you whole. It's all those things in one little word. Sozo is uh, he rescues you, protects you, defends you, transforms you, delivers you, and makes you whole. So it's saying that if you get around me, my prayer of faith can save you, but who is it that really raises you up? And who will raise you up? I'm not your Savior, but I have the Savior in me. So if you get around me, then suddenly what can happen is some oil, some Holy Spirit, some faith, Some I got faith for you, and then what can happen is the Lord will save, rescue, deliver, heal, and raise you up, and the Lord will raise you up. Right? It's powerful. Let me give you an example. I love this. Jesus is in the wilderness because his fame had spread so he retreated to the highways and the byways. And people from all over Israel came to see him including the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scripture in Luke 5 says the power of God was present to heal. Okay, Now the room is so packed and some friends of a, par- a guy that's fully a paralytic and paralyzed here's that Jesus is there. They load him up on the cot and they had to see Jesus that they might lay Jesus at lay this the paralytic at his feet. Okay, this is Luke five. If you haven't read the story, but the house is so packed they can't get the paralytic in the house. So you know what they do? They go up on the top. And they start ripping the tiles off. They cut a hole in the ceiling, and drop down the paralytic in front of Jesus. Luke 5.20 says something so powerful. When Jesus saw what? He said to the man, your sins. He didn't say you're healed. He said first, let's deal with unforgiveness, shame, your past, and all the other things that have held you back and held you bound. Now I'm tying this to these scriptures in James because it says, and, go back to the end of verse 15, it says, and if he's committed sins, He will be forgiven. And so I'm going to use that for a moment to segue by saying this. The friends of the paralytic had faith for the paralytic. And when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the paralytic. But he first said, your sins are forgiven. Now, what we don't necessarily see is a big inner healing session, a big deliverance session. But what I am going to say to you is that forgiveness and healing go hand in hand. Because the next scripture says, and if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Right? Because I have found that unforgiveness and sickness can go hand in hand. But it's not a formula. It's not a formula. Because check out the blind man. The blind man, the, the, the uh, disciples come to Jesus and say, who has sinned? Him or his parents? Where's the generational curse? There's got to be one. You're sick? Oh man, certainly you did something to deserve that sickness or something happened or your parents did something. And you know what Jesus said? He said, neither have sinned, but this is done, that person's healed so that, this is a powerful scripture, so that the works of God may be demonstrated in that person's life. It wasn't just so God could do some magical potion thing to draw people. What he cared about was the the blind man's life And so that when God touches you, you get transformed to glorify him. When God does something in your life miraculously, many times the purpose is because he loves you and he delights in you and he simply wants you to experience the greatness of who he is. But there are also times that we bombed it, we blew it, we messed it up, we got abused, I got angry, I backstabbed, I burned everything down. I really made a mess of my life. And in my soul is bitterness and anger and frustration and all these things that are defiling people around me. It comes from Hebrews twelve fourteen and fifteen. In Hebrews twelve fourteen, it says, "Pursue peace with all people. Live in holiness, uh, and uh, with holiness, without and without, no one will see the Lord." Verse fifteen. L- looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest what? A root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and defiles many. Look at the next part. And by many become defiled. Sorry, I stepped on your foot there for the fifth time. <laughs> she needs some steel toe shoes for the front row. So I'm sharing this in this context. Bitterness and anger and hurts and pains... And unconfessed sin and unresolved issues between people can cause sickness. But it's not a formula, and it's not in every case. So I know there's a big movement out there by people that we know and that we love that inner healing and deliverance is not biblical, that as soon as you come to Jesus, you're made a new creation. Well, that's, that's completely true in the sense of biblical, but the challenge is, is you're dealing with a million variables in people's lives. Not anyone, the absolute truth is the truth of God's word. Now, if I could get all of you to believe the fullness of God's word right now, I would be worked out of a job. Yeah. 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 But the challenge is most people don't read their Bible. They're, you're in a, some of you are in faster paces than others. Some of you are on the 10-year plan. Some of you should be on the one-year plan. I don't know where you're at. You know, but the thing is, is your background. Some of us were abused. We were neglected. We were hurt. We, we, you know, committed major adultery and affairs, and we have all this junk in our soul realm that God wants to come in and purify. But what we don't need to have is formulistic approaches. What we need is unique patterns by the Holy Spirit for each person. The point is, is when somebody's sick and they come up for healing and prayer, that we have the ability to bring forgiveness in their life and discern that they need forgiveness first. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to pray for somebody. They're like, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to pray in tongues. I really want to touch from God. So, all right, come up. So I start to pray for them, and they just can't get it, and they're not, you know, whatever's happening. And then they start weeping and crying. Like, why are you crying? Because God, sh- like my good friend, Pat, he started to get rocked by the Lord. He wanted to baptize the Holy Spirit. He started weeping and crying. I said, what's going on? He started having pictures of his dad doing things to him when he was a child. And God said, I want to bring healing and forgiveness to his life before I bring that. But that's not a formula. Some people come up, and they've had as bad or worse things, and I go to pray for them, they're like, she got on my son, they just start rolling like a freight train. You can't formulize and compartmentalize God. We have to stop that. And I realize that inner healing and deliverance movements have really gotten crazy, and some people are in this cycle of I'm always jacked up, I'm always jacked up, and I need more healing, and I need more, and they never realize the truth and the reality of who they are in Christ now. And I wish that that would happen, but from a pastoral standpoint, that's why I have issue with what some prominent speakers that many of you like are putting, I've been getting the messages from YouTube, just because he did it one way for that person is not a formula for everybody else. Do you understand? And I get it. The Bible gives an absolute truth of who you are. You're made perfect, but you're still in the process of sanctification. I smoked pot for a year. I still have stuff that God's weaning and working out of my life. But I do believe God ultimately wants us to, bring to, to come to a place where we're not living in sin. And I do believe it is attainable because he wants us to be perfect as he is perfect. I believe it. But, but if, if I fall short, I don't feel like I always have to have some deep inner healing session, but it depends on your situation. I mean, some, some people's situation is horrid, horrible. Do you understand? I'm talking like, the, I have heard the worst of the worst, from incest to child abuse to being raped multiple times when they were child by a man with a man. I mean, horrible stuff, and that may be some of you here. And for some of you, you could come to the Lord and God washes you in forgiveness and bam, it's instant. And you're like transformed for life. But some people, that they've lived with that hurt for so long that their natural default is to revert to that pain because it's been a comfort for them for so long. Am I talking to anybody right now? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Let's stop boxing it in. I know the Bible gives us an absolute truth. But we're also dealing in a world with lots and lots of people that have lots and lots of crazy different backgrounds. And what I want you to see is that it's not a formula. The blind man, no one had sinned. The paralytic needed forgiveness first before he was healed. How it happened and where it went. So let's not box in and push away and say we like this and don't like that and that's not of God. Listen, I get a generational curses. All right, let's throw the term out. Let's throw the term of generational curses out, if you want, if you don't like it. I got a better way to say it. Stuff my mom and did that was really jacked up that jacked me up. Because they were living out of wedlock, shacking it up while I was in the next room. And then they weren't ever praying and talking about Jesus. And early on, my dad was an alcoholic, and my father left me. And he was sleeping around, and he was chasing after money. And I had abandonment and neglect when I was a child because I didn't have a dad early on, so I was looking for affirmation and acceptance from everybody else around me. And so what happened there affected me, and I don't play the blame game, but I recognize and realize that almost 9.9% of the time, or out of 10, the person that's an alcoholic, abuser, or angry, or workaholic, more often than not, their dad was exactly the same way. It's not in every case, and I'm not formalizing it. But I can pretty much tell you when I see abuse, spinning out, drugs, alcohol, and all those things, the parents were often that way. And if you look at a childhood, somebody in your lineage or you were hurt as a child or rejected by a mom. And what it does is it pushes us away and it causes us, and I'm not saying that's the right thing. So then I need to come along and say, let's not blame, forgive them. Because in my hardest, most difficult situation, no matter what my parents did, no matter what my friends did, no matter what exes did, no matter how bad I'm manifesting, it pales in comparison to what Jesus did on the cross. And I I measure everything in my life to the cross. Jesus shed blood shredded skin shredded off of him, spite, uh, thorns shoved inside his head, side cut open, nails hanging there with gravity pulling him down to the ground in miserable, agonizing pain, while the people he loved mocked him, spit at him, laughed at him, and told him he was a deceptive lie. Everything he was believing he was doing was a lie, and even Jesus had to cry out to the Lord, why have you forsaken me? But the news is, the, the best news flash is that Jesus did not forsake was not forsaken. He felt forsaken, but the Father actually never forsaken him. Jesus was carrying the full weight of all the sin of humanity, all the darkest of dark of dark on his body in that moment, and he felt so distant. He felt what you feel in your worst, most darkest hour, and then he opened up his mouth and he said, Father, forgive them. How he could forgive in that state when he saw the worst of anything, you or anybody else, anything, everyone, the pedophile, children, you name it, the most horrible thing. He could stand on that cross and still, or, or hang on that cross and still say, Father, forgive them. And yet we want to be ticked off at each other and mad at each other and taking our petty little things that divide the church in Western Americanized culture when in 50 nations, over 50 nations, this book is illegal. And we live our lives with let's church hop around and not get committed and not lean on and get ticked off because we're trying to help each other and yet you feel controlled or upset or mad and I'm arguing with my wife and all these petty dumb things when Jesus took it all on that cross. And when I measure it to that cross, it puts it into perspective. Do you understand? You got to measure it to the cross. You got to measure it to the cross. Come on, guys. We need some resets. And that's why I want you to notice in verse 16. Go back to verse 16. It says, confess your sins, to your trespasses to one another and pray for each other. Do you know when I'm upset with my wife, a lot of times I don't pray. And then the Lord speaks to me and says, I want you to pray for her. Because when you're mad at somebody or you're angry at somebody one of the last things you do is pray for them. And when I deal with marriage issues and problems in people's lives with somebody else, I ask them, are you praying for them? And more often it's not. Why? Because when I'm mad at you, the last thing I want to do is pray for you. I'm ticked off at you. You, I'm I'm angry. I'm actually like, God, get that person. (laughs) You know what they did wrong. Smite them. Coals on your head. Look at the scripture. We're talking about physical healing. Confess your trespasses to one another. So if you have an issue with somebody, you've got to forgive. It will defile and kill and destroy and make you sick. And then pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. God hates division in his church. He wants unity. And I get it. Some people won't like me. There's people that have left this church and gone to other. I'm friends with most pastors in this city. And I don't speak negative about them. As long as you're spirit led, go where God leads you to go. People come to this church and say, man, I love the church. I love the church. I'm thinking about joining here. And I don't go, oh, man, that would be awesome. We really want you here. Please join the church. Please. This would be a great place. Oh, you would love it. This, you got to stay here. I don't do that. You know what I say? Make sure you're spirit led. You don't get to pick your church. Listen, churches aren't McDonald's and Burger King's and Wendy's and Whataburgers. It's not where's the latest, greatest, hippest, coolest, most fattest. It's us getting in the trenches together and you finding people that are your tribe and your family and submitting to the process and getting unified. I love many other pastors in the city, and they probably preach awesome messages, and their worship teams are are awesome, and their kids' ministry are awesome. But you know what? God raises up churches and communities for reasons and purposes. Find yours and get involved and get connected, and let's not be church hoppers and church shoppers. Please. And so that's why I tell people, if you talk to somebody and they tell you, man, I go to this church, don't just try to talk them out of – the last thing I want you to do is talk somebody out of their church to because this you think this is so, so much better. And maybe it is. What you do is you tell them, you discover where they're at, discover what they need, and find out their situation. Because the truth is some people do need to leave their churches. But what I don't need is a culture of people running out trying to steal people from everybody else's church. That was a side note nugget for you. I don't know how I got on that. So in the context of James 16, first what you do is you pray. Then always pray for those who have hurt you or who you have hurt. First pray for yourself. Then pray for those who have hurt you. Confess where you can. Now, I couldn't go back to every single person in my high school that I ever slept with or hurt or did something bad to. I'm not going to sit there on Facebook all day and say, hey, I know this was 50. Well, I'm not 50 yet, but I know this was you know, 25 years ago, but I just want to really apologize for da-da-da-da. No, you do it as the Spirit leads, and more often it's in the context of the now. If you've been really hurt by a parent, or you're really angry at a spouse, or, you know, you, we all have things that we have really hurt us, but for the sake of your health, your children, your family, and your future, walk in forgiveness. It's not worth hanging on to that bitterness. So you confess where you can. you got to make sure that every area of your life is surrendered to Jesus. So that you become righteous in God's sight, hence the prayer of a righteous man. So I'm going to show you this. Confess trust that you may be healed. The effective, look at the next part. Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now we've taught on this a lot, but I'm going to break two things down for you. The word effective fervent in the Greek is the word energy. It's the exact word for energy. Look it up. What it means is you are, the switch is on. I'm operative, I'm at work, and what's happening is full of might and power. So how do I pray effective and fervent? The key to this scripture isn't work myself up more. Come on. You know, I used to wrestle. So before I'd get in a wrestle match, I'd kind of hop around. I'd have my headphones on. I'm cranking some. Back then it was Guns N' Roses. I'm like. I'm getting myself worked up, and when I get in that ring, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you down and pin you. I'm going to tap you out in a second. I get myself hyped up, worked up. That's not what this is. The key here is the effective fervent prayer. The energy comes from the righteous man, and what I realize is righteousness is the key. And I'm made righteous in his sight because of what Jesus did on the cross, but it also requires me to live Righteous. And now when I shut down the computer screen and I'm not clicking, and when I shut down the lying and the cheating and the stealing and the hurting and the, you know, the drunkenness and the, whatever it is, all those things, and I shut it down and I embrace the cross, now in the spirit, suddenly all of a sudden the Holy Spirit starts to come on me. And I'm shakarabasa, and then suddenly it's like it's energy. It's power. The switch is on. If you touch it, you will get electrocuted. Stick the finger... Don't stick your finger. Wait. (laughs) There was something good coming out of that. (laughs) Plug into my socket. There you go. (laughs) That's awesome. Because see, the Holy Spirit's a generator inside of you. Do you know that? Yeah. Think about this: the Holy Spirit regenerates you. The word regenerate literally comes from generate, or a generator, or a generation. They're all connected. And so what happens is inside of me, it's like: Have you ever had those uh, the the flashlights that are not battery powered? You have to shake them. You ever seen those? You got. Sh- I hate those. Flash- they're terrible, by the way it's like every time I want I got to shake it and then it goes dim on me in a second but the point is is that the Holy Spirit inside of me through the righteousness of Christ of who I am and the completed work on the cross suddenly as I draw closer to him effective fervent power and energy comes on me because I have confessed my sin I've walked in forgiveness I'm not bitter and I'm not angry and now God is moving supernaturally in my life and that's what I want him to do for you and if you are sick this morning mentally physically spiritually shame hurts pains unforgiveness and you know you need to forgive if you haven't accepted Jesus as your lord and savior and you're not surrendered his headship if you're sick physically in your body if you're battling addiction alcoholism drugs whatever it is we're going to pray for you right now